been thinking this week, as we continue our series looking at the stories from Jesus, I've been thinking about perseverance. Um, this particular parable we're looking at today from Luke 18 is just kind of a weird parable, but, but it made me think about perseverance. Have you, ever, have you ever seen someone persevere through something and you go, wow, that's just incredible? Or have you ever been someone who you look back on your life and there was a moment you experienced something and you persevered through it and you never thought it was possible, but as you look back, you go, huh, I never thought that would happen. And so then I started thinking about moments of perseverance in my own life, and I thought about a, a guy I grew up with. His name is Justin. Uh, Justin and I went to elementary school together, middle school together, and high school together. And it's not a community like many around here where you like, stay in the same school district. You bounce. There were several schools that went to our high school eventually, but we just happened to be in those three schools together. And so Justin and I got to know each other well. Justin and I both played basketball. Um, Justin, um, he um, unfortunately... Um, due to family genetics, was not very tall. Um, I mean, I'm not tall either, but I was tall compared to Justin. Justin was like 5'6", five, 5'7". Five, um, and so if you want to play high school basketball and you're not real tall, it's not a great thing. And he wasn't tall in middle school. He was like 5'2", when we were in middle school. And so he tried out for the 7th grade basketball team and he got cut in 7th grade. Loved to play, kept working hard. Right? He was a team manager that year, made the team in 8th grade, but didn't get to play. Got in high school, we had an A and a B team. He tried out, he made the B team, but he still didn't get to play. Sophomore year, he tries out. They keep him on the JV team at the end of the lineup, and we have what we call a C team, right, in our high school. It was a large high school, and the C team was basically a couple guys from the varsity who never got to play, and then a couple guys from the JV who never got to play, and he created a C team and played a few games throughout the season. He played one game in the C, of the C team, and then junior year comes, he gets cut. But he worked really hard. I mean, really hard. The point that coaches cut him but liked him so much, we all liked him. Everyone liked Justin. And there was no one who worked harder than Justin. But he still didn't make it. Well, somewhere in that junior year, I, I believe it was, maybe it was sophomore year, but Justin decided he wanted to become a Navy SEAL. And so Justin started training really hard for that. On top of trying to play basketball, he did all this. So he would come to our, our off-season conditioning stuff, and he would wear combat boots. Uh, he started going to swim practices occasionally because he wanted to become a better swimmer. So Justin would do all these things, right? We would, we would work out, and he would do push-ups between sets. I mean, he just invested his life in that so much so that he did join the Navy, and he did become a Navy SEAL. And in fact, at one point during some conflict somewhere, um, there was some explosion of some kind, and his back got all messed up, and he had to have a massive back surgery, and he still made it back to active duty after that. Um, like, talk about perseverance. Justin's life has modeled perseverance. And so the truth is, for pretty much all of us in this room today, none of us are going to be Navy SEALs. It's probably good for you and for other people as well. I say almost all. I want to leave there's some hope maybe for a couple of you. Not me. Um, but I was thinking about how, how for us, um, perseverance is one of those traits that we value in most things, right? So what's the definition of perseverance? I thought that might be helpful today. Here's the definition from Merriam-Webster. Continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failure, or opposition. 
The action or condition of an instance of persevering. And I love this one word here, steadfastness. We can easily talk about how perseverance matters in almost every aspect of life, right? It matters in our education. It matters in our work, in our relationships. In fact, I officiated a wedding yesterday for Zach Dutcher and Bethany Larson, who are now Mr. and Mrs. Zach Dutcher. But, but one of the things I talked about in the, the message of the wedding was that if you guys will live out perseverance in your relationship, you'll have a marriage that will last. Perseverance is a trait. It's a good trait. And so I was thinking about it matters in school or in physical exercise. Um, but it also matters in terms of our faith. It's not a phrase we often think of in terms of faith, but perseverance in faith matters. In fact, it's a, it's a trait that Jesus himself modeled. It's a trait that Jesus taught on. In fact, I think it's one of those things in which we'll begin to recognize the value of perseverance in our own faith. And so we've been talking about these parables of Jesus, and so I'll just remind you again what a parable is. Parables teach us about life, God, and ourselves. They're usually multi-layered. We don't usually get the understanding in one reading. In fact, we can read it again and again and find it teaches us something new almost every single time. But what it does challenge us in is this thing that when we, how we see the world. Our eyes are often opened and challenged, right? Last week, I, I talked about the parable in which Jesus talks about the workers in the vineyard and those who came first and those who came last got paid the same thing. And some of you didn't like that parable very much. Obviously, it told me some of you have never read the Bible before, but that's a whole other conversation, right? Like, that's a tough parable. I get it. Or you read it and skipped it and thought, they don't mean that. But, but they challenge us to see the world differently from a new perspective, from a kingdom perspective, so Jesus tells this particular parable in Luke 18, and it's one of those, if we're honest, it might leave you scratching your head a little bit, but here's what Jesus says. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I don't know about you, but maybe you're like me and you read this story and you go, huh, um, what's the story about? Who's the hero? Who's the villain? What's the point? And I don't want us to miss the first verse because I believe the first verse really is the key to the entire parable. Here's the first verse again. And Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. They should always pray and not give up. In other words, they should be people who pray with perseverance. They should always pray and not give up. 
as I was reading this parable this week again, and as I was reading some commentaries and thoughts, one scholar wrote this. He said, in what sort of community is patience in prayer needed? Who needs to be encouraged to persevere? The answer seems to be a discouraged community, one that has moved past its initial joy and is struggling in the Christian life as a long-term pattern of living. The community wants to give up. Don't forget, the Gospel of Luke was written a few decades after the crucifixion of Jesus. The church was fledgling, right? Luke writes this. You notice he gives this initial, he gives you the answer to the parable, right? That's the nice thing about Luke. I appreciate this one. He tells us this parable is about perseverance and prayer. He tells us that up front, why? Because the church is struggling, the church is persecuted, the church doesn't know what's going on. He purposely includes this parable of Jesus to a church that is struggling, to people who feel oppressed and disgruntled and frustrated and wondering when God's going to do what God said he was going to do. Didn't Jesus say, there were two or three gathered, there I am with you? Didn't he say these things? And the church is frustrated and concerned. As Luke gives these words, well, here, let me remind you about who Jesus is and what he has promised. In other words, when God seems absent or far off and not listening, those are the moments we're probably in greatest need to be people of prayer. And I don't know about you, but here's what I think. Um, Perseverance through prayer, having faith to do so, is incredibly difficult. I know. It's hard to pray and not give up. Have you experienced that? It's hard to pray and not give up. And so Jesus, in addressing this idea, tells this weird kind of bizarre story. There's this judge, right? This unjust judge. And judges in that day kind of resolved everything, right? There weren't police in the way we think of police, There were soldiers and judges, and that's it. And so judges, little things that often police will take care of in our day, um, the judges had to do all that. And so a judge would often dismiss people because they didn't want to waste their time. And judges, if they were Roman judges, were appointed, and so they didn't care what you thought because their appointment was not dependent on their results. Their appointment was dependent upon only making sure the Roman, whoever appointed them, was appeased. And so as long as they did that, they could ignore people. And so it wasn't un, it's not surprising that bribes would happen and that I would answer certain pleas by people I really cared about or were going to give me value in the end, right? So as a judge, I might dismiss people because they were wasting my time and I didn't care. So in this story, we don't know of the widow. Right? The widow might be someone who, she just might, her husband might have died and she wants to know if she can keep her land and that someone else is trying to take claim to it. There's all kinds of things we don't know what's going on. But the unjust judge I love one part of it, right? It says, he doesn't care what people think. In our social media-driven world, it's a pretty cool trait. The problem is, the other trait that he has is not that great a trait. He doesn't care what God thinks either. He He could give a rip. He doesn't care who God is. And so this becomes for us this thing they wrestle with. 
Um, all right, it's, it's also a reminder for us, it's why it's not always better in years past. Right? I hear people say, oh, the world's always been so much better than it is today. Not true, by the way. And so we don't know if the widow deserves justice or repayment. We have no idea, but we know this. And according to the judge, she is annoying. She annoys him. She keeps bothering him, and she won't quit coming up to him. We know, obviously, he's dismissed her multiple times, but this woman is annoying to him, and he goes, you know what? I don't even care whether she's right or not, but she's so annoying, I'm going to let her have what she wants, and then maybe she'll leave me alone, because I'm scared of this lady that she might be crazy and come after me. That's like a paraphrase of this story. So he doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about the woman. He just doesn't want to be annoyed any longer. And so the question is this, that Jesus poses is, well, if an unjust judge would do this for a woman who's just annoying him, how much would the God who loves you do for you? But it becomes for us hard. Because are we willing to trust that God is going to work? That God is at work? Even when we don't see it? Even when we don't feel it? Even when we have prayed again and again and again and we're not seeing the result that we want, we keep praying and keep asking, we think what we're praying for is good, but we still don't get the answer we want. Are we willing to pray the words that Jesus prayed, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Are we trusting that God's breaking into the here and now and redeeming and restoring and making all things new? But God, I want this so badly. And I keep praying for it. And it's not bad. In fact, I think it would be your will. But why are you not answering it in the way I want you to? Why are you not doing this? Are we willing to believe that God works all things for good those who love him, but doesn't mean that the things they're experiencing are good? Right? That's an important distinction. That's why we unequivocally believe in our tradition. Um, God is going to redeem all that is broken in the world, and that is God's great plan, but in your individual lives, God's plan is not that someone gets sick and dies of cancer, or that we lose a child. Those are not, we don't believe in a God who plans those things out. But we do believe brokenness exists. And we don't know why heaven doesn't seem to break into certain moments that we long for. We don't know why that happens. That's why Jesus keeps saying, if an unrighteous human knows how to do good, how much more does the holy God? And yet, if you're like me, you think these things. I prayed and God didn't answer my prayer. I wanted X to happen and it didn't. I prayed for my kids that they would choose to follow Jesus and they never have. I prayed for my spouse and nothing has happened. I prayed for a friend and I still lost them. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And the answer I longed for that seemed to be heaven on earth hasn't come. And this is what Jesus is saying to his followers. Will you trust in a God who loves you? Will you trust in a resurrection that will bring new life even when, maybe especially when, you can't see it? Will you trust 
that God is at work, that God does love you, that Christ did die for you. Will you trust those things, even with what you long for, may not come true in the life here and now? That's why the last night is when Christ returns, will he find faith? In other words, will he find that people have persevered through prayer? But I do want to say this today. God is moved to action by our persistence. God has moved to action by our persistence. Now, I want to pause for a moment here because I think it's important. Um, I want to clarify what I don't know, which is a lot, by the way, but I don't know how God acts. I don't know how and why sometimes God answers prayers and sometimes it doesn't seem like he does. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know why sometimes we pray these things and God doesn't come through in the way we hope for. I don't know. And I'm not trying to sit here today and tell you, well, if you just pray with more faith, God will answer your prayer in the way you long for. I, I know that's not true. It hasn't happened. We've lost people we love. But what I will say is this. Jesus is speaking to the human condition, recognizing our fears and our frustrations, He's asking us this question, will you trust me to do what is right in the end? The persistence in which he is calling us to in this moment is optimistic that God is redeeming and restoring. It's persistence that he's calling us to a particular way of life. It's persistence in our optimism and it's challenging us to just take the right next step in our faith. As I mentioned, today is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost was the day 50 days after Passover. So we know we talk about the day of Pentecost in the Christian tradition and this understanding. They were all gathered together. The followers of Jesus were gathered together. Still not sure what had happened. Still not sure we really saw this Jesus guy. We still don't know what's going on. And somehow the very presence of God, his very spirit, showed up and those who had committed to following after Jesus experienced the very presence of God that raised Christ from the dead to dwell in them in such a way that they knew something had radically changed and they were radically different. And they couldn't necessarily describe it. They said something like tongues of fire because they didn't have the right words to describe. But they knew, they knew that God was there in a way they had never known before. And they knew that something had changed in their hearts. I mean, people were sharing with one another and giving to one another and making sure no one had a need. I mean, it was kind of a crazy time in the church. It's a reminder that God's grace goes before us and in us and works through us. So then those moments, when we don't know how to pray, and we know we're called the persistence in our prayer, it's the very Spirit of God who often gives us the strength to pray. Because sometimes it just feels like we can't do it anymore. But somehow, the very Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead, the very Spirit of God that showed up on Pentecost, that same spirit dwells in you and I in such a way that we can find persistence in our prayers because persistence in prayer is powerful. Persistence in prayer is powerful. 
See, here's the reality. Prayer may not always change the circumstances of our lives in the way we want, but prayer does always change us. Prayer may not change the things in our lives in the way we hope for, but prayer will change you and I the more we seek after God, the more His Spirit is at work in us, the more we find the prayers we pray really are about this idea that I will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, do your work in and through me in the community in which I call home. It's not a new thing, right? I, I love these kind of two stories in the Bible. Abraham um, goes to God, and, and Abraham is... Cousin Lot lives in Sodom, and, and he goes, hey, uh, God, I'll tell you what, I know you want to destroy these people because they are just a mess, but what if I find 50 righteous people there? Can we just not do it then? The guy goes, okay, 50 people, sure, we'll, we'll, I'll change my mind. And Abraham goes, okay, God, well, I'll tell you what, if 50 is good, what about 45? The guy goes, all right, 45, cool. And he goes, well, what about 40? He goes, okay, well, now that we have 40, how about 30? 20? 10. It's like, okay, if you can find 10. There weren't 10. That's a whole other conversation. But, right, so, so Abraham's like, in other words, God, if I'm persistent with you, I know who you are. In fact, we could use the story of, of Moses and the Israelites, right, in the wilderness. And, and Moses is so angry with these people, but God's even angrier. And God goes, I tell you what, Moses, you've been faithful to me. I'm going to restart this whole thing with you. And Moses goes, God, you can't do that. And if I'm God, what? What do you mean? You, you don't get to tell me what to do. And Moses goes, God, don't you know who you are? Abounding in love, slow to become angry. Don't you know who you are, God? Just, God, you don't want to get rid of all these people because then they'll say, oh, he brought them out of Egypt just so he could kill them all in the wilderness. You don't want the other people to talk badly about your followers? Say, all right, Moses, you're right. I'm slow to anger and abounding in love. I forgot. Moses was persistent and saying, God, do you know who you are? And I know it's not just those stories, but there's so many others, not just in the Bible, but in our own lives where we have just prayed and prayed, and God has answered prayers. And I think about how sometimes he answers prayers and sometimes he doesn't. And friends of ours, um, I say, um, one past, one current. Sue and Vince, I've talked about them before, but Sue and Vince had this, this um, messed up relationship. They got married super young. She was like 17. He was 19. They had five boys before they were 25. I mean, it was, um, she's doing drugs. He's controlling and crazy. Um, and he decides he's going to kill himself on the highway, on the Dan Ryan Expressway in Chicago. He opens his van door and he says, God, if you're real, you better speak up. And somehow on the radio, he hears some guy talk about, if you want to know who God is, Shuts the door, gives his life to God right there on the Dan Ryan Expressway. Crazy story. Goes to tell his wife, who's they're now divorced, um, ex-wife, about this God he's encountered, and she thinks he's nuts because he was nuts. Um, and she goes, "I don't want anything to do with your God." And so he keeps pestering because he's like, "I'm so different." And she goes, "You know what?" And she couldn't give up the stuff she was engaged in, and so she gave him all the boys. So here's this guy raising five boys by himself knows Jesus now, wants to live for Jesus, wants his wife to know Jesus. She wants nothing to do with him. He begins praying, and then there's a lady named Maggie at the, at the UPS store she works at, and Maggie leads her to know Jesus in the back room at work. They begin praying more. They get remarried on their anniversary. Incredible story. And we love stories that end happily ever after. This one doesn't, by the way. They had about 15, 20 more years of great marriage, and their kids kind of grew up in the church. 
And then probably three years ago, Sue died of cancer. Bone cancer throughout her entire body. Wrecked her. Vince prayed and prayed. He took her to places to try all kinds of holistic stuff. They died chemo. They went to some place in Mexico. They went everywhere he could to try to save his wife. Prayed and prayed and prayed. She died. He was persistent in his prayers. God answered a prayer at one level in which their marriage was redeemed and reconciled and restored, and yet he still grieves the loss even this day. What do we do with that? And the truth is, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I don't, I don't know how to tell us. What, what do we do with those things when we've lost people we love? Some of you in this room have grieved the loss of children or grandchildren. You have grieved the loss of friends or parents, people who've died horrific deaths. But here's what I have come to believe is this. That there is a God who is redeeming and restoring and making all things new. And there will be a day when all wrongs are made right. And there will be a day when heaven breaks into the here and now. And all hearts are mended and bodies are healed. And hearts are made right. And until that day, you and I are to pray with persistence, trusting that God loves people more than you and I ever could. Here's the good news for us today. When we feel powerless, it is the Spirit who helps us to pray. And persistence in our prayer is powerful. So what might happen if in our pain and our discouragement, if we begin to trust God again? What might happen if you and I begin to pray persistent prayers, trusting that God might move? What might happen if you and I said, God, I don't know why this has happened, but I believe the scriptures are true that you do love us. I believe it's true that Christ came and died for me and for others so that all people could know the depth of your love. And I do believe there will be a day when you redeem and restore and you make all things new. But this particular area of my life, I have struggled to give to you in prayer. I have struggled to be persistent. And so today, I want to trust it to you, but I need your Spirit's help to be able to do so. And so today... In just a few moments, we'll take communion. We take communion in our tradition as a way of saying we believe God's grace is present and evident and comes to us. We take communion in our tradition saying this, we believe that God so loves us that he extends his grace to us, that he desires to heal us, that we are not sustained on our own, but we need God's love and mercy and hope. And we come to this particular table trusting that we see in part this day, like Paul writes about in a glass darkly, right? We see as in a mirror where it gets foggy, but we don't see clearly yet. But we believe God is going to redeem and restore, make all things new. And we come to this table recognizing our need of confession, our need of God's love, our need of his mercy, and so this morning, just a few moments, when we take communion, I'm going to invite you a couple of things today. Um, if, if there's just something in your life that you've struggled to be persistent in prayer about, 
and you know God today is calling you to be so. If you want to kneel and pray, uh, it may be tight, but that's okay. We don't care. We'll make room. Come and lay it down and say, God, I need you to, to take this, but I feel like I can almost not receive your grace until I let this go. Or maybe you've received the grace and you come to the table and you've got to, ah, thank you for your love and your mercy, but I, I just need to trust you. And I need your spirit in my life to redeem and restore some parts of me or pray for others in a way I've never prayed or whatever it needs. So if you just need to know that I need to be persistent in prayer today, but I need your spirit to do so. Like I said, I, I don't know why God answers some prayers and he doesn't answer others. I don't know, and I'm not going to try to tell you I've got some great answer for that. I don't understand. But I do know this. I've experienced the presence of God who comes near to us. I believe in a God that when we grieve, grieves with us in our loss and our pain, and he offers his love and his grace and his presence. And so in the midst of our heartache and our suffering, he is near. That's why we talk about the day of Pentecost. He is here. So this morning, if you just need to recognize that God is near to you, feel free to kneel and pray. Sometimes we find that we don't always have the right answer. We trust in a God whose goodness and whose love extends to us wherever we may be. This may be as we came to the table this morning, we don't recognize we never leave without God's grace being with us, that wherever we go, God is near. There will be a day in which God makes all wrongs right. We live as a people who live to lean into that and do our part to trust that we too can be part of God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. So we pray with you this morning. Father, we thank you for this opportunity in this moment. You might begin to make us more and more holy than we are at this moment might sense your love and your mercy and your grace and your goodness and we might be givers of your love and your grace and your mercy so father we trust you we long to know you more we pray these things in your son jesus name